0: Welcome to the Gibbs Spotlight. My name is Haley Sandell, and I'm a Strategic Visual Communications Intern here at the Gibbs College of Architecture. Today, I'll be speaking with third-year landscape architecture graduate student, Haley Powell. Hey, Haley.
1: Hi, Haley. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well.
0: So can you tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Well. I grew up as an Army brat, um, so it's really hard to say I'm from any one place. I lived a few years overseas, and um, that's really impacted how I approach my work as a graduate student, and also how I came to find landscape architecture.
0: That's awesome. So what what brought you into the world of landscape architecture?
1: Well, um, growing up, I lived three years in South Korea, two years in Japan, and while we were there, we got to visit all sorts of different countries from like Slovakia to Thailand to China, and um, it really impacted my love for people and for culture, so I majored in anthropology, and as I approached the end of that degree, I realized, you know, I'm going to have to pursue something else with this, and I started to look around and I have never heard of landscape architecture before, but I've always loved nature. I always loved the environment. And I also had a background in art. And so my mom suggested it and I looked into it and it seemed the perfect um, blend of all three of those.
0: Nice. That's so cool. Oh, And especially with today's world, landscape architecture is so important.
1: Yes, it really is. It can make all the difference in how we experience our environment.
0: That's so cool. So what do you think sets the Landscape Architecture program at Gibbs apart from the other programs?
1: I honestly think it is our access to our professors. Um, We still have a fairly small program. We are growing, Um, but we have an amazing team of faculty. And given that we are so small, you get so much face time with each one of them. You know, as the classes get bigger, it becomes more of a time stretch. You know, it becomes harder to get an in-depth discussion. Whereas when you have a smaller group, you can all get together and you can all um, talk about things with your professor or get one-on-one time with them. You can get their attention. You can go to their office. Whereas at larger programs, you don't necessarily have that privilege because there might be 300 of you.
0: Yeah. It's definitely more of a family environment.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely.
0: That's so cool. So what brought you from anthropology to landscape architecture? They're, they're similar, but <laughs> yeah. what, what was that transition for you?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so anthropology is a study of human society and culture. And that is something I still geek out about to this day. <laughs> and um, landscape architecture is essentially providing that bridge from the environment and nature to people. So you're finding a way to format, you know, nature in a way that people can enjoy it. Because not everybody wants to go stomp around in the woods like I do. I love yeah. that. But you know, that doesn't work in a city that doesn't work um, in every environment, in every place, and so you're finding ways to present things to people in a way that they can enjoy them in palatable bites, and um, you can have a whole range of just designs, like from maybe a streetscape, where it's pretty paved, pretty hard all the way to a restored meadow that is all within the realm of landscape architecture. And the way that you present that it's always to get the user to feel comfortable. And so that having that focus on people, I feel like has really, really helped me honestly. Like um, it was pretty difficult transitioning um, from anthropology to design just because I don't have a background in actual design. I have a background in art. So I have A foot in the kind of design world, but I don't have a background like architecture or something like that, where I learned how to sketch and where I learned how to do all these different skill sets. So the actual transition was difficult, but the mindset was already there for me to think about the user, to think about how this is going to be perceived and used, and you know um, that intense focus on people I feel like has really, really helped shape the um, the context of my designs, the goal of my designs. And um, so it's not been the smoothest transition, but I think anthropology has def- me, definitely given me a leg up in learning how to create a, uh, a usable design.
0: That's really okay. awesome. Yeah. Sorry. That, no, that, that was a perfect answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I started my minor actually this year in architecture. And oh, wow. one thing that um, Hans Bootser, uh, always stressed was human centered design.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: So yeah. yeah, this is like the perfect example of <laughs> architecture at Gibbs. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it truly does make all the difference. Like when you walk into a space, and you just don't feel comfortable, you know, like it might be yeah. gorgeous, it might be super well maintained. But sometimes you just get that feeling that it wasn't made for you it was made for like a magazine or some photos yeah. you know it just sometimes it there's something missing you know it's made for the different.
0: grandeur not the user yeah absolutely and i love that
1: hans has really integrated that into his work and how he approaches goals.
0: that's awesome well sweet um kind of to trampoline off of that uh can you tell us about a project you've been working on you've been working on your thesis right I sure have. <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, it's actually coming up on the the end
1: date, and so hopefully this turns out well. But I have been working on a permaculture food forest in Oklahoma City. Oh, that's it awesome. Is, like, thank you, thank you. It's all hypothetical, unfortunately, but I actually, um, I was interested in permaculture before landscape architecture, and I actually, in a small way kind of found landscape architecture through permaculture permaculture is basically mimicking nature and ecology to kind of do the work for you when it comes to food and things like that where you know um just as a broad sweeping example here instead of mowing your lawn yeah how can you get nature to keep your lawn at that length and something that a lot of Um, permaculture enthusiasts will use are actually sheep they actually don't eat grass to the roots they just mow it quote unquote and they leave probably like three to four inches of that grass there so you're finding ways you're finding species to do work for you so it becomes way less maintenance way less of a burden for you and you still get the outputs and the benefit of it and it also really really helps the land because you're not using fertilizers you're not using pesticides you're using minimum inputs to get maximum outputs. And so the goal for this permaculture food forest is to mimic an actual forest with all of its different layers and different niches and to create a productive um, source of food for a community in South Oklahoma City that actually really suffers from severe flooding and um, they actually live in a food desert. So they don't have a lot of access to fresh produce. so. Hypothetically, this could be a really unique situation to try out a food forest because it heals the land, improves the soil to help reduce flooding. I mean, it's definitely not going to stop the flooding. I'm going to be completely honest there. The flooding is yeah. a way larger problem than this one site that I'm dealing with. But it can help mitigate that. And then over time, it can also help produce a source of fresh produce for these people with hopefully minimal inputs for them over time. Um, that's to me the big crux of this is these people may or may not have time or the resources um, or the tools to do something like a community garden or to farm their own food you know it just it's not realistic for a lot of people and so creating something that I can essentially theoretically help them install and something that over time it takes care of itself a food forest self-regulates because it is mimicking that ecology. Things that can't survive there won't survive there because it's pretty laissez-faire. You know, um, it's just kind of yeah. a unique opportunity to try something out that I may never get the chance to design again.
0: That's really awesome. And this is the best environment for you to try out those big ideas.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: I'm a Oklahoma City native, actually. And like, Just from growing up there, that is something that could be so useful not only in Oklahoma City but everywhere.
1: Oh, we need to have,
0: yeah, we need a more mutual relationship with the environment.
1: I 100% agree. And something I love about Food Forest is it provides that layer of resiliency that I think is missing from a lot of our communities. You know, um, I actually saw an award winning project where um, the the woman who presented it, she basically was proposing food forests in Puerto Rico because after oh. I think hurricane Maria, I think boats couldn't really come in and they relied on those shipments for a lot of their food. And so they were gotcha. stuck high and dry because that was, that was it. There was no plan B, you know? And, um, that's kind of part of my goal with this food for us is it's, it may not be where everybody gets 100% of their food, and that's fine, but if you can't afford to go and get your organic apples from Whole Foods, you can maybe go find something in this food forest that can help supplement your diet, help relieve some of the stress and burden of financially supporting you know, your food intake, and it can also improve health because, let's be honest, um, Oklahoma is one of the lowest states for fresh produce consumption. So... It's something that I feel like would be a great, um, uh, I don't know, maybe like a solution for this area. And it's been tried other places like Seattle. Um, there's a new one in Austin. There's actually one done by a neighborhood in Tulsa. So it seems like the perfect time to give it a go here.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and this is perfect too. I mean, yesterday was Earth Day, so yeah. these are things that we need to consider.
1: Oh, 100%. we got to take
0: care of our little planet.
1: Yeah, it's the only one we have.
0: Yeah. So on this topic as well, um, what have been the most challenging and rewarding things about this project so far?
1: Yeah, so I would say definitely one of the most challenging things is the food forest that I'm trying to design is like a, it's a true succession in an ecosystem so you're going from essentially a quote-unquote blank slate where it's essentially mostly a monoculture of grass and you have to phase in a series of plants um and okay okay um I, i'm trying to figure out how to say this because i'm about to completely nerd out on ecology here but you have oh, to get for with- it. <laughs> You have to get to a mature forest from this monoculture of grass that's been supported by fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, mowing, irrigation. So you have to rip all of that away and somehow improve the soil, which is already poor. You have to improve it to the point where it can support all the layers of a forest. There are seven layers of a forest. You have your canopy. You have your understory. You have your shrub layer. You have your herbaceous layer. You have your uh. vines, and you also have your deep-rooted plants. So gotcha. you need to get from one to seven, right? And wow, you, <laughs> yeah, it's it's daunting to think about. Um, but it's it, it's a long process, but it's it can help be um, oh gosh, shortened, accelerated by using permaculture techniques because you start off, you put in your pioneer plants. Um, you got dynamic accumula- accumulators, you've got nitrogen fixers, things that naturally improve the soil. Pioneer plants, they're meant to like hang tough. They can do full sunlight, no water, they embrace the suck. Okay, and while they're there toughing it out, they improve the soil.
0: That's so, a perfect Oklahoma plant, too. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh, it truly <laughs> is truly uh a- so you have all of your pioneer plants that you phase in, um, those help improve the soil, and then eventually you can mulch with those, you cut off some of the leaves, drop some mulch, that helps retain some water and some moisture in the soil, and you gradually, very gradually, start phasing in more productive plants um, that need richer soil. So you keep nitrogen fixers in through the entire process because you constantly want to enrich that soil so that your productive plants have something to work with. Like if you just poke a peach tree out in your front yard and the soil's not good, it's not going to produce well. You know, it needs yeah. that specific environment. It needs to be babied a little bit. And yeah, um, definitely the nitrogen fixers are kind of like your nursery trees, your, your babysitters, because they can provide, shade to new growth on plants that are more delicate and they can also improve the soil. So you go from monoculture to um, basically like a, uh, a grassland. You can start introducing perennials there and then you get into like a shrubland where larger plants can start to get established woody perennials. You still want to maintain a good population of nitrogen fixers but you can start introducing productive plants in there and you can also introduce um your canopy trees a little earlier just because they're going to be so small but you want to get those in because eventually you're going to need those to provide shade for your understory trees your understory trees can't go full sunlight or they will basically fry so it's, it's like i don't know it's the whole succession you go from essentially that monoculture the grass The grass to um, your kind of meadow, to your shrubland to your young forest, your mature forest, where we want to be as mature forest, and that can take years because you need those canopy trees to get established, get tall. You start removing some of your nitrogen-fixing trees and mulching those so that your understory trees and your productive trees can start to take precedence. They need that light, that room. So you start weeding out some of your nitrogen-fixing trees. And so from beginning to end, you go from maybe 95% nitrogen fixers and 5% productive species. And by the end of it, you probably have 5% nitrogen fixers, 95% productive species, because you just have to start weeding those out to make room for your peach trees, your pecan trees, your jujubes, if you want to get out there. But yeah, so it's the whole succession. And so learning that and then figuring out how to communicate that because I just nerded out for what like 10 minutes on trying to tell you it's perfect (laughs) well um, it's just it's not a design like here go install this you know yeah um, you can't just go in there and plant your plum trees because they aren't going to do well the soil's not ready for that you they don't have a canopy they don't have any shade It, it just doesn't work and so you've I I have to figure out how to basically walk people through a succession. You know, it's not just, here's my design, go build it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. okay, phase one, we do A. And it's just A for eight months to a year. And then we do B. You know, it's this progression through. And that's been something that, like, I get theoretically. But when it comes to actually making a board, you know, like, I have to figure out how to th- – thoroughly communicate that to people who may not have any clue what i'm talking about
0: yeah and it's definitely a practice and patience that's for sure oh yeah so the thing with permaculture is you it's
1: way less maintenance after it gets established but the trade-off is it just it's going to take time you know um yeah Today, we like to basically rip the Band-Aid off, spend a lot more money, get instant ambiance. And I'm all for that in some scenarios, but that just does not work permaculture because you are working with the land. You're working with nature. You don't get to um, just go straight to the finish line and have an amazing, productive food source. Um in six months. It just doesn't work like that. The earth doesn't really work like that. Food forests, there's one in Morocco that's estimated to be, um, I think like three thousand years old. Wow. You know, so I mean, once established, they can they're there, you know, they can live because they self-regulate it, they maintain themselves like a real forest would. Um, but getting there, you know, you're not gonna get there in like a year or 18 months the way a lot of people would prefer and I would prefer that too if I'm
0: being honest but um that's just not how the earth works of course well and what a beautiful ecosystem to have in a developed city
1: oh my goodness yes yeah that was actually another driver for me is it's so biodiverse like it provides for everything and you know you can get all sorts of animals in there. I mean, naturally where I'm planning it, um, it's pretty much in the heart of South Oklahoma city. It's South of the river along lightning Creek. And um, it's, it's not going to get like a jungle in there or anything like that. But, you know, I visited the site and there's just not a lot going on in terms of like biodiversity or any kind of like habitat for animals. And, The stream, the creek that I'm working on, is channelized. It's concrete, and that actually contributes to the flooding problem because it really accelerates that water. And then it hits an actual portion of the creek that is an earthen channel. So that slows down the water. So it hits this log jam essentially and it overflows into this neighborhood. And this concrete channel is hideous. Like it's ugly. Like some of it's tagged with. um, graffiti? Uh, graffiti that's what it is it's tagged with graffiti um some of it's eroding already it's not in the greatest condition and so creating this force around there also helps to beautify it and it adds some life to this area that's kind of it just didn't feel like fully alive you know um yeah and I think this neighborhood um I don't know I feel like It would be a gift to them to give them something that could help mitigate some of that flooding, help beautify the area and hopefully help strengthen their resiliency. Even in times like this where, you know, grocery stores are struggling to provide for people during the coronavirus outbreak.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And places like Lowe's right now are popping Mm -hmm. because people are deciding that, oh, maybe I should grow my own food. Like this is, this is a great solution to that issue.
1: Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, that's part of the reason it attracted me to this kind of project was it just seemed to check so many boxes, you know, it just seemed that it can help in so many ways. And it actually kind of frustrated me that there weren't more of these, you know, like if it solves so many problems, you know, where are they, you know, like, why haven't we been doing this? And then when I started getting in and learning, about the process of establishing one, it made a little bit more sense to me why you don't see them as much. It's hard to convince somebody, like, you're going to have something great in 10 years. You know, like, nobody wants to hear
0: that, you know. Um, People are impatient.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's fair. You know, this sort of solution isn't suitable for every single place. You know, there's some places where maybe a community garden is the way to go. Like, you have a way more immediate um, outcome. You know, this focuses, like, food forests focus on like perennials and trees and things that are established and will come back year after year um whereas sometimes you maybe you need that community or local garden that's full of animals that it's going to produce in like 5 weeks if that you know like yeah. it you can't force this kind of solution to every problem i understand that but i wish we could have more of these throughout the world actually because i think it could be A really fascinating shift in our culture.
0: I absolutely agree. And it's very community by community, but it's Mm -hmm. just taking that small step and planning that community garden and then going, Oh, well, it would be really cool to have some peach trees, pecan trees, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and kind of moving up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all about your thesis. That is the coolest thing. I I have learned a lot today.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope so. It's it's hard to talk about because you really have to brace yourself to walk through the entire thing. You know, you can't just say, yeah. oh, I'm going to build a park, you know, because everyone knows what a park yeah. is. Nobody knows what permaculture is. Nobody knows what a food forest is. <laughs> so, but it's
0: so cool. <laughs>
1: Thank you. I mean, truly, I can geek out about permaculture all day. And um, I love getting to share that with people because most people don't know about it. And, you know, some people aren't interested. But if you are, you know, you can really you have an opportunity to help change your own environment. You can improve your well-being, your community's well-being and the earth. Like, that's what I love so much about permaculture is it's providing for you. But it's not taking advantage of the earth and the ecosystems. You're improving it. You're, in heal- you're healing this earth. You're helping the soil. You're providing biodiversity. And I love that. I just Definitive love it so much. Sweet. Yeah. So I'm happy I
0: got to talk with you today. Sorry for talking yeah.
1: your ear off. Like I said, I get pretty nerdy about these
0: things. No, this is perfect. I, I'm so glad that you went so into detail. Like I said, I've learned a lot today. And I feel much more inspired to go plant my little vegetable garden. <laughs> I bought idea, some man. seeds. I just haven't planted them yet.
1: <laughs> you know what you need to do before that? You need to plant some pollinator species. That's what you need. That's what the world needs in its life is go plant like a vitex or something that flowers. Feed your local bees and then plant your, um, your veggies and your fruits because they're going to do so much better when you have your bees buzzing around.
0: I just wrote that down in my notes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, you just want to
1: attract all your pollinators, you know, you feed them, they'll feed you. And it'll make uh, your garden in the world a little bit more beautiful.
0: Sweet. I, yeah, I have added that to my list for those. Thank you. <laughs> just grab so yourself a couple you... of
1: flowering plants and your bees will be happy.
0: Yay. Oh, save the bees. So, off of this, do you have any plans after graduation? Yeah, so I actually,
1: I interned with a firm down in Dallas called TBG Partners. Um, I interned with them through the summer and the fall, and I'm actually going to go return down there in June, and um, I'm super excited about it. It's a super great firm. They really, really care about their people, which really attracted me, obviously, and um, it's it's been such a great experience working with them and they still check in on me. And, um, they're a really great firm to work with. They, uh, they're very communal in the sense that you can ask almost anyone anything.
0: That's awesome. Well, good for you. You're moving up.
1: (laughs) Hopefully man. Um, I just want this virus to go away so that, you know, I can go down there and, and look for places to live. I haven't even thought about that till now.
0: Absolutely. The train has been derailed and I sure would like for it to be rerailed. That would Cause... be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Life is weird right now.
1: Oh, it, it really really is.
0: Yeah. Well, sweet. I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you for taking the time and sitting down to talk with me about this. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I've learned a lot. Um is there anything else you would like to add? Um, uh, I would say
1: just as a general a piece of advice to anyone looking to plant stuff, stay away from annuals if you can. Plant a perennial. It will make your life so much easier because it won't die in the winter. It will come back and it will get big, bigger and better. And, um, yeah, uh, look into per- permaculture and
0: enjoy your life.
1: You know, that's, that all I have.
0: Perfect. Oh, I'm excited to get my little garden started. Do your thing, man. Do it. Thank you again for talking with us and good luck with your thesis.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Gibbs Spotlight. Tune in next time to hear more stories from the Gibbs College of Architecture.